Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you at a little bit of a special day and time, Tuesday evening, live show. And there has been, for their not being able to sign a lot of players, there's been kind of a lot of headlines around the league with the Cincinnati Bengals. And because that is all about the franchise tag, the NFL combine that just uh, went through the works here over the last weekend and all kinds of different things. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. John, what's going on, dude? It's Tag Tuesday, man. Uh, The NFL continues to show its absolute prowess and influence in American society. They brought back the middle class, man. We have middle class quarterbacks now. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Middle class quarterbacks, and there is... Some very, very, uh, you know, I guess tumultuous, entertaining, nebulous, whatever word you want to use. Nebulous. Headlines surrounding, yeah, no, yeah, nebulous is a good one. Ambiguous uh, in terms of one AFC North quarterback, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, again, this is the Orange and Black Insider, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Happy to be talking with all of you here as franchise tag deadline time came and went this afternoon. And John, the Cincinnati Bengals opted not to use one this year. Uh, there were maybe a couple of candidates. One, I guess most obviously being Jesse Bates, but as we have stated over and over again on this show and on anyone who would read or listen to what we have to say that was not going to happen for the second year in a row at all by some of the rumors and different things that are out there it's looking more and more like jesse bates is not going to return to the Bengals as we expected maybe even within the division with the browns that's kind of a new rumor popping up there but the Bengals also did not they did not put the tag on Jermaine Pratt, who was potentially a candidate, a lesser expected one, I guess, than Jesse Bates, but they opted not to go that route either. Yeah, I mean, Pratt would have been an even more expensive tagging for a single year than Jesse Bates would have been. And obviously, I don't think the Bengals have ever tagged a player two years in a row. That just very rarely happens to basically any player aside from maybe a quarterback or two. So yeah, this was expected. Both these guys are going to enter the open market for the first time in their careers, and in all likelihood, they will find an offer that is probably bigger than the one that Cincinnati has on the table for them if Cincinnati has an offer available for Bates or Pratt at all at this point. So I'm assuming like the, the offer for Bates is still there, but if he hasn't taken it by now, he probably won't. And this is going to be a case where it's like, yeah, see what you can get. If you can't find anything, you know, we're, the door is open for us, but this is free agency, and Every single year, it's not just quarterbacks, right? Every single year, positional markets are typically larger than we expected to. Every now and then, you might get a position or two that sees kind kind of like a downward trend of what the, what the average market price is. Maybe maybe it stagnates a little bit, but I, I would assume that both of these guys are going to get near market level deals. I, I would assume Jesse Bates is going to reset the safety market. I don't know if I can say the same about Jermaine Pratt. But I would be willing to bet that Jermaine Pratt's going to get an offer this time next week that is much larger than the Bengals are comfortable with. Well, you you said, you know, go go see what you can get, if anything, out there. And I mean, I, I would take that a step further and just say I think the attitude may may even more so be go see what you're gonna get out there 
And if you are willing to potentially, you know, if you like what we're doing here, if you like the culture that we've built here, bring that number back to us and we'll see if we're anywhere close or if we, you sure. know, uh, what, what we'll do. I, th- I mean, I think that's at least for some of these guys. So Bengals do not use the franchise tag. Not a lot of teams did use the franchise tag this year, including some guys that may or may not be on the Bengals radar. You got McGrary of um, Atlanta who did not get the the franchise tag. Orlando Brown did not get the franchise tag from Kansas City. Uh, Juwan Taylor, a guy we profiled as a free agent profile, did not get the franchise tag from Jacksonville. That was kind of expected because I think they were a little tight on on cap space and and whatnot for that uh, situation. So a lot of different players out there are now set to become free agents. And uh, one other guy that did not receive the franchise tag, but uh, the Bengals apparently want him back. And this is an article, which which is kind of funny to, to say. I mean, it's not funny that they want him back. It's funny because the Bengals, and we'll talk about this in a second, but they have been really doing their due diligence in this position group, at least with, with the combine and whatnot, but the Bengals would reportedly love to bring back Hayden Hurst. And this is these are quotes via Mike Petralia, who's uh, been on our show before. Great guy who covers the Bengals. Uh, and he relayed, John, some interesting quotes here from Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator. I thought Hayden really stepped up and provided us a ton of value. By the way, Hayden Hurst also um, the salute to service award finalist for the Bengals as well. So, you know, got, got that locker room. Uh, solid locker room guy thing going for him that, uh, you know, this team is and the coaches really dig uh, and have been trying to build since they've been here. But the quote continues, I didn't expect him to be probably as good as he was for us just because his tape was limited. We knew he had the capability of being a highly productive player. We weren't sure what it would look like for us. He came in and did a fantastic job being able to create explosive plays. He was really tough and physical in the run game, which is what we weren't sure we were going to get in that regard. I thought he really developed as a blocker. Um, and really, I mean, there's just more and more kind of compliments here. But at the end here, and hopefully we will find a way to get the guys that we like back. Um, and, you know, I exp- he also says I expressed to him before we left how much he meant to our team and the energy he provided. So sounds like the Bengals are very bullish on bringing him back and wanting him to kind of potentially spearhead the tight end group that, again, that cupboard's looking really bare with Mitchell Wilcox. Again, he, he probably will get tendered that exclusive rights uh, free agent situation that he's got going. But her set to be a free agent. Drew Sample set to be a free agent. Technically, Mitchell Wilcox set to be a free agent. The Bengals are doing their due diligence at that position group. Like I said, we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But uh, they want Hurst back. As they should. I mean, like you said, and like we've talked about a few times in the past month, they have next to nothing at tight end. I think officially uh, Mitch Wilcox is a restricted free agent. So um, either they like place an original round tender on him, which is like $2 million or something, or they just let that expire, bring him back for vet minimum, which is something that I think we could both Yeah, I think I said exclusive rights. I, th- I think I meant restricted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, either way, like it's not going to be hard to bring him back, and it's not going to yeah. be very expensive to do so either. But they need some type of veteran presence and some type of proven commodity at the position entering the draft like i feel like there might be this false uh idea of like oh the Bengals are either going to sign a guy like hayden hurst for agency or they're going to attack the position of the draft and i feel like it's probably going to be both just because of how deep the tight end class is it's the whole mantra of like oh there's x amount of players with you know a top 100 or top 50 grade on them like there's a there's a couple of those positions every year and tight end seems to be one of those positions this year, but they probably want to fill that position a lot better than they did in the past couple of years. So if you have a guy like Hurst who you're really comfortable with, who you probably can produce even at a higher level next year, assuming that he's going to be healthier for the entire season and he's more comfortable with the role. Like, I feel like this year was probably the floor of what they would expect Hayden Hurst to be. And I found those comments really interesting from Callahan. Like he was better than what they expected to be. I think fans may have had an inflated expectation of what Hayden Hurst could be. And he only had like 400 yards or receiving like a handful of touchdowns. He didn't, and we've talked about this a ton too. Like there wasn't a ton of examples of him really stretching the field. And oftentimes, you know, him and Burrow wouldn't really connect on some of those plays. When they did connect, it was great. And like, oh yeah, that's that's what this guy can do to, to unlock the offense. But it was a lot of those short passes that he was taking 
extra yards with yards after catch and yards after yeah. contact, and that was really his primary impact. So I feel like they can get even more out of Hayden Hurst, and it feels like Hayden Hurst wants to do that here. Like he's comfortable with the team, he's comfortable with the culture, the whole nine yards. Like that's that's a situation where like okay, we like this relationship, we want to extend it, and not often do the Bengals always you know sit on their hands and just take continuity instead of looking for a potential upgrade. But I feel like this is the case where it's not going to be that expensive to bring him back and they want to keep building off of what they did last year. Yeah, it, it was a lot of short, short routes that ended up netting positive yardage and a lot of, a lot of like yardage. And then, you know, he would, he would kind of truck over a guy or, you know, really kind of break, run through a couple of tackles a little bit and extend the play further than you would have thought. Um, there were a couple of instances, be it because of poor blocking in a situation, a misfire by Joe Burrow, or maybe some miscommunication. There were some, you know, seam routes and kind of deeper routes that just, like you said, were not connected on this year. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're if they do bring him back, if that's going to continue to be kind of part and parcel of what the expectations are going to be next year. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think they, again, we've said this a lot. I know Duke Tobin's openly said this a lot. The Bengals don't want to go into the draft with a ton of needs. Um, they like to largely go best player available within the realm of, you know, kind of realistic possibilities. I mean, they're not going to go quarterback super early or anything like that. Um, so, you know, what, what they like to do is fulfill at least a, a little more than the bare minimum of their roster needs going into the draft and then kind of go in there and say, okay, well, we've got we filled out some areas we may could use some depth and or different things, but they don't want to be short on starters at a lot of different positions or anything like that going into the draft. And so they are going to probably try and make a run at Hayden Hurst. I don't know what that contract would look like. I would assume it would still be on the shorter, shorter term side of things. And then probably also get a tight end in the draft, probably also tender Mitchell Wilcox as well. I think they like what he brings from a special teams aspect and a backup guy, the guy who was kind of flashing a little bit towards the end of the year too. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm seeing a lot of mock drafts on Twitter and whatnot from fans that show, Hey, the Bengals are taking two tight ends in this draft. I don't know that that's going to be the case this year. I could see one and probably before night two is over. Um, that, that's kind of where I, where I see one being taken and then they're going to fill out the rest of the roster there. That is of course, again, seeing as if they, resign Hayden Hurst and uh, potentially get Mitchell Wilcox. But that's kind of an interesting thing. And we'll talk about this here because you will see a theme, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of who the Bengals have spoken to a nice list here. I believe it is largely up to date, if not fully up to date on Cincy jungle in terms of all the reported meetings that the Bengals have had with prospects at the NFL combine. And these reports come from a number of different outlets and whatnot. And here it is on Cincy Jungle. You can see here a nice picture of Duke Tobin on that article there. And I will pin this. This is from you, sir, um, uh, on here. And here's here's a list of a lot. You can see here, and I know this is in positional order, but there are a lot of pass catching and or skill position offensive players being met with by the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, some of the ones that really stick out to you here, uh, the, the two Pac-12 guys to me, Tavian Thomas, a guy who was, you know, kind of known as the explosive player at Utah on the ground. Interesting, interesting player. We'll see, you know, there was some, I think some health stuff and some different things there that are, that have been going on. But uh, a guy that has a, brings a lot of excitement, Zach Charbonnet, a guy at UCLA who was previously at Michigan, played the last couple of years at UCLA, kind of a do-it-all, just a solid all-around player, probably going to be that a round two, if not round three, maybe player. Uh, and then you, you go down, of course, they met with Kincaid, who did not work out, the tight end out of Utah, who did not work out at the uh, NFL Combine, Darnell Washington, the gigantic tight end from Georgia, Josh Wiley, the tight end out of Cincinnati, Michael Mayer, the consensus, I guess, still coming out of this, uh, top tight end out of Notre Dame, Sam Laporta, a guy who really got uh, had a nice weekend there as well, the tight end out of Iowa. So a lot of guys, a lot of running backs, I, I believe six tight ends. Um, I, I think there was maybe one more that they had uh, noted that they met with as well. So six tight ends, a handful of running backs, a couple of wide receivers. They are looking to bolster their weaponry on offense. 
Yeah, and th- th- these were just the reports of meetings that I saw. Uh, if you saw, if anyone watching this saw anything else with your own eyes, then it exists and it's just not on this list. But I mean, the takeaways are the takeaways, right? Running backs, tight ends, cornerbacks. Like, yep. I mean, the, 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 these are positions that we knew were going to be in the Bengals' eyes in this draft, and they typically don't try to hide these things right it's hard for teams to hide these things when they're public knowledge and you only get 45 i think formal meetings a year but i mean this is where the tight end interest kind of comes from i mean that's every single big name tight end in this draft class and i technically count two bearcats on this list uh tavion thomas was a bearcat before he transferred to utah and had some success there but that's another thing too right it's been a minute since the Bengals have invested any real draft capital in a running back you know the, the highest running back that they've taken since Joe Mixon was Mark Walden. Uh, I don't know where Mark Walden is now. Oh, he Mark not Walden. not last long here. So when the Bengals show interest in the running back group after four or five years of not really doing that, I, I take notice of that. We, we've talked about this team loves second-round running backs, regardless if there's a starter on the roster. So Jameer Gibbs, Zach Charbonnet, I mean, those are legitimate targets for this team, I would assume, in the second round, I don't think they're going to take Gibbs in the end of the first round, but he might not make it to the second round pick. But anyways, it just tells you kind of what their mindset is along with tight end and along with quarterback. It's always going to be a positional target for the Bengals in the first round, and it makes a ton of sense this year because of it's probably like the the second or first strongest class in in this whole entire draft class aside from tight end. Can I tell a funny Mark? Well, it's not funny, I guess, but can I tell a Mark Walton story? I think you know this one, John. Do you know the Mark Walton story? Regarding this show, I think show. so, but I want you to tell anyways. Okay, so back in 2019, we were. It was a very cool opportunity. We were, we were approached within like a week of each other uh, from the NFLPA Bowl that's out here in in LA of both uh, interviewing Tyler Boyd and interviewing Mark Walton because Mark Walton, um, I, I think, was uh, either had just been drafted. There was there was something where he just was drafted or something like that, and so we got to speak with Tyler Boyd. And, um, that was awesome. And then we were getting set and I, I'm waiting to do the, the interview with, with Mark Walton. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. He doesn't show, he doesn't show. And is, you know, I'm getting, Oh, he's, he's going to come. He's going to come. Uh, he's, he's going to be on with you soon. And it turns out that the day, the day we were going to speak with him, uh, at, uh, and interview him was the day I believe he had, what did he have two or three arrests? I can't even remember at this point. Um, but it was the, it was the day after, or I guess the same day, because he was rested, you know, two, three in the morning, I believe. Um, <laughs> that day, uh, he was going to come on our show, and he ended up uh, being arrested that day. And then, you know, the, the snowball kind of went downhill from there, and uh, he was no longer a Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, I always remember that, um, for better or for worse, a little bit, that story with Mark Walton. And, um, yeah, but at least we got to talk to Tyler Boyd. That was fun. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't even know. Um, uh, well, let, let's let's get to this here. I don't want to segue that into another situation directly, but um, Mr. Whisper, Mr. Generosity, we got to do something nice for this guy. I feel like everyone is sleeping on cornerback as a Bengals need. We were one bad injury away from trotting out Allen George out there. Um, hey, no, 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 Allen George slander here, uh, guy, guy. Uh, <laughs> Guy showed showed uh, some good stuff and and made his way onto the roster there late in the year and who knows what the future is for here for him going forward. Hopefully he uh, makes a nice run at things going forward with the team here. But if Eli and Cam Taylor Britt hadn't both played while injured, uh, also do you think we draft a cornerback high or resign Apple? Um, I would not be surprised if they do another short-term deal with Eli Apple again, just to have, again, they don't want to go into the draft with glaring needs. And I don't know that the market's going to be heavy for a guy like Eli Apple. That's not necessarily a slight to him. I mean, we know there's downs with the, with the nice plays that he has, but I think also this just seems to be the best professional fit for him. Lou Anarumo, the Bengals and, and everything. It just seems to have been the best fit for him. So I think, there may be something on the table that's a short-term deal again, just to say, hey, you know, we've got Chidobia Wuzier coming back from a knee injury. Um, uh, Cupboard's a little bare behind all of those guys there. Maybe we have him as kind of a, a windfall in case we can't get the corners we're targeting early in the draft. I mean, Mr. Whisper is 100% right. Like, the fact that Eli Apple's presence in the past two years has been, I mean, 
a godsend for this team. Like, based off of how he's played and the fact that he's been with the team and able to, to play, like, they've had unfortunate injuries and situations pop up at multiple quarterback spots, and the defense has survived because Eli Apple has been a stable, albeit sometimes inconsistent player, but more times than not, he got the job done, and it's allowed the defense to stay afloat. If you go into 2023 with... I love Chidabe Woozy. I love him as a person. I love him as an athlete. Everything. He's coming off a torn ACL, and you never know how those things are going to go. He's a phenomenal yep. athlete, and I hope that his recovery is fine. But you don't you, you don't know until you know, right? And hopefully by right. the time camp comes around and preseason comes around, he's he's getting back into the swing of things. But if he's your starter, projected starter, along with Cam Taylor-Britt, who, again, I think everyone assumes is going to take a, take a leap, you don't know what can happen after that. They have nothing, nothing behind any of those guys. And I'm not... I'm, don't want to slander Alan George here, but you want someone in front of Alan George on the depth chart, right? So if you're not going to bring back Eli Apple, which, I mean, it's probably 50-50 at this point, like you need something. And if there's, if your two options are free agency in the draft, when the draft is this loaded at cornerback, and this team typically doesn't draft cornerbacks outside of the top two rounds, I think that speaks a lot about what's likely going to happen. Yeah, you know, that that's an interesting point. And I may backtrack a little bit on what I said because... It may be a deal where Eli Apple doesn't get signed before the draft and the Bengals end up seeing what they can get for, you know, in the realm of quarterback cornerbacks in the draft. And then, you know, if he's still sitting out there, um, you know, or, you know, there's a, if he's still sitting out there, even, you know, closer to mini camps, training camps, and there's injury stuff or depth concerns, he may be a a late free agency signing, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to underestimate the interest that'll be out there for Eli Apple. It just seems that, you know, he's kind of a guy that if the Bengals want him, they should be able to get him and should be able to get him with, you know, somewhat relative ease and, and maybe uh, down the road, even if things fall a certain way. But thank you, Mr. Whisper, for your generous YouTube chat there. What we don't know, John, and I don't want to belabor this. I don't want to talk about this a lot. We've kind of avoided talking about the other stuff surrounding this particular player in person um, that that occurred apparently throughout, you know, around the postseason game and whatnot. Um, there was another reported incident uh, surrounding Bengals running back Joe Mixon. So I don't want to. I don't want to belabor a ton of stuff about this. I definitely don't want to be the one to accuse not accuse any of that stuff because I, I don't know that full details the full picture has emerged but there have been some details about this and of course it being pertinent bangle news i guess we got to touch on this at least a little bit to at least catch people up on what we know so far yeah i didn't want to uh write an article about this until as much information as possible came out and that to me happened around like noon and that was uh at eight thirty at night on Monday night in Anderson Township, which is where Joe Mixon lives. There were reports of shots being fired in his neighborhood. And then police responded to the scene just before midnight or or something. And they eventually uh, taped off the area surrounding Mixon's house with crime scene tape. I believe there was um, some investigation going on in his front yard. And then after midnight, deputies um, requested access inside his home and they searched his home and they investigated his home. Uh, his sister was was reached out to by Mike Dardis of WLWT. His sister said that Mixon was not involved in any of this. It's not known if Mixon was even home at the time. Like there's there's nothing tangible here that says that he was actually a part of any of this. But what happened was again reports of shots being fired, and a teenager, a juvenile, was taken to a local hospital with minor injuries. Again, we don't know what happened to him. It's a, it's a ton of speculation. It's really unfortunate, though, because you saw a lot on Twitter like, oh, what did Joe Mixon do this time? But, I mean, re- regardless of what happened a month ago in a completely separate incident, we just don't know enough about these things, about any of this, aside from just the facts that are being reported, and that's all that's been reported. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing, uh, at least for the time being, was dropped uh, about a month, month and a half ago. And then, you know, you've got this situation and that's why sometimes being patient and not rushing to be first, but being correct is the, the, the right way to go about these things. That's something John and I definitely strive for, but, uh, also, I mean, regardless, I, I don't, I don't want to go down this road entirely at this point, but 
two of these things despite the outcome of it in in a month during the offseason for a guy that we already know there was an issue a long time ago with him in college, but who has really been kind of a really nice redemption story in a lot of different ways throughout his pro career. And then, you know, these two things pop up suddenly at the beginning of this year, um, I guess a little concerning, particularly if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, but I do think that they need to do their due diligence and figure out all the facts and details on this before, you know, any kind of knee jerk reaction or anything like that is, is being done. Well, yeah. I mean, the football angle doesn't really have anything to do with any of this. Like Joe Mixon would be a potential cap casualty, regardless of, you know, why he's in the news or, or why he isn't right. in the news. Like this is just, this is just independent things. And again, one of these things, we don't even know if he was involved or if he was even present for the incident. So the Bengals will make a decision on Joe Mixon, regardless of what happens in the news or not. All right. Well, the other piece of news before, and we do have a free agent profile. We're going to talk a little bit, I think, about the NFL combine, what we saw from there as well. Guys that uh, were, were intriguing here, um, but the free agent profile will be coming up too. But before we get to that, John, there are, was some big news within the division here. Lamar Jackson is uh, sort of signed to the <laughs> Baltimore Ravens, uh, has a form of the franchise tag. It's kind of like, to me, it's almost the transition tag on steroids a little bit, it sounds like. But at any rate, Ravens placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. So, he is franchise tag. This has been a deal that's been a, a, in a stalemate for a while now. Of course, the way the year ended for the Ravens at the hands of the Cincinnati Bengals, but the way the year ended uh, for the Ravens, namely in the way that Lamar Jackson's injury was handled, not handled, and all kinds of different perceptions with that, uh, just could not come to a long-term deal. My assumption is obviously they will still try to do that here, but what what happens here is that he can kind of be shopped around or he can shop himself around a little bit. And if, you know, he, someone signs him to an offer sheet that can be presented then to the Baltimore Ravens and they kind of have the right of first refusal, right? I mean, they can, they can sit here and say, yeah, we'll, we'll match that or we'll better it or whatever. Um, or they can say, thanks, but no thanks. Give us those two first round picks now X team. Um, and, Lamar Jackson would go to another team. The tag does have a 32.41 million salary um, for, for that season. Um, so at, at any rate, really, really interesting situation here for the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson. And, you know, there, there are people also out there going, oh, the Dolphins are go after him. Well, I don't, I don't know the Dolphins have two first-round picks, right? Uh, the Falcons reportedly say they're not interested, which you and I, you and I talked about, like, but right before we went on the air, it's like, why the hell are the Falcons not interested in this? This seems like based on the offense they ran last year, this is the guy, this is the exact guy they would want. Um, so really, really weird situation and doesn't, I, who knows where he's going to land at this point, probably back in Baltimore, but I don't know. Yeah. Two things are going to happen here. Either no team uh, offers a competitive offer to him and Baltimore controls his rights and he likely holds out. Or a team comes in, swoops in with a deal that he's looking for, and the Ravens take the two first-round picks. None of none of the potential futures involve Lamar Jackson signing a multi-year deal with the Baltimore Ravens because for months now they've been separate or apart in the negotiations by the range of like a hundred billion in guaranteed money or something ridiculous like that. Like there are reports that he wants something similar or more than what Deshaun Watson got. From the Cleveland Browns, as is his right, he represents himself. Go get your bag, King. Don't waver on this. And it seemed like the correct thing to do up until, I guess, an hour ago when every single <laughs> report is like, yeah, the, this Team X and Team Y and Team Z aren't interested in Lamar Jackson. And on the surface, it's, okay, just don't want to give up two first-round picks for a potentially more expensive version of Deshaun Watson's contract for this quarterback who recently got hurt. But... If like the Falcons specifically, man, if they were willing to sell their souls for Deshaun Watson, why wouldn't do the same for a quarterback who at this point right now is probably better than Deshaun Watson? It's very weird how no team right now essentially wants him aside from maybe the Raiders. Like there was a report from Diana Rossini who said that they're keeping all options on the table, including Lamar Jackson. But again, this is eight days before he can 
quote unquote officially negotiate with these teams. So we'll see if anything picks up. But right now, it is kind of bizarre. But I think if you can read between the lines a little bit, you can start to read something that's a little fishy going on. I just wonder about the relationship between he and the Ravens at this point, right? I mean, this has been strung along for a long period of time. Some of the, I don't know if you want to call them accusations, but some of the things hinted at uh, with his handling of the injury and everything from that side, the team side of the fence and, you know, the media and all that, they cover the team. I mean, there are some not so kind things that were alluded to with him and how he was doing that. And, um, you know, of course there is the knock of a postseason kind of lack of success with him overall, but uh, I mean, he's a hell of a player. We know that to me, Atlanta, like you said, Atlanta, I mean, number one, that's the system. I mean, it just seems like a guy you're like, you know, you're putting out Mariota, you're putting out, you drafted Desmond Ritter. This is a guy that you would think would do a lot of the same things and then some for you. And then on top of that, Oh, by the way, they went after a guy last year, super high stakes and this player is as good if not better and doesn't have a lot of the baggage that the player they went after (laughs) had so i you know there there is a lot to unpack here and i don't know where this goes between lamar jackson and the ravens if that if kind of the good faith negotiations are just done at this point if they both sides kind of knew that this was where this was going to go it may end up being a deal where he gets you know, an offer sheet from somebody and the Ravens end up matching it. And then here you go. There's, here's your long-term deal. But uh, this is, this is kind of a rocky situation I would think between those two clubs. And I don't mean to like overblow it. It just seems like this has been an ongoing saga for so long now. I mean, that's just everything that we've heard about this. There's no reason to assume that it's malarkey at this point. Like they, they've just been so far apart in these negotiations for a long time that I, I like the, the deadline was the deadline and that was today and they still can do it. And typically, deadline spurs action. You saw it with the Seahawks and Geno Smith. The Giants and Daniel Joe, I believe, agreed to a deal like four minutes before the official window closed. And obviously, yep. the situation is a little different. And maybe they haven't been going on for as long as Lamar. And there's a lot, maybe fewer complications to entail with that. But I think from just an AFC North perspective and a Bengals perspective, like I don't think Lamar is playing for the Ravens ever again, even if they control his rights for the foreseeable future. I think he's going to, he's just going to bide his time until someone kind of saves him from this. Well, we are in the, in the presence of greatness and uh, fame, fortune, intelligence, all of that. And what, what timing, because he's probably going to see me break down this free agent and tell me what a dummy I am because Mr. Joe Goodberry is in the house and he is one of our good buddies and one of the best in the business. Good to be, uh, Seeing him in the in the live chats here, Joe. Come on the show sometime, Joe. It's been a while, been too long, especially with draft season, buddy. You got to come on the show. Um, miss you. But at any rate, a lot of stuff going on with the Cincinnati Bengals and in free agency. A lot of stuff and a lot of drama going on with the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. We'll have to see how that all develops with everything on that side of things. But uh, this should be, once again, a really, really interesting free agency period for a lot of different teams. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on a number of different platforms, including our YouTube channel. You can subscribe via the show link underneath John and buy that SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo there. Click that. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. Of course, you got to give a a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page with about 80,000 other followers on that one. We stream live there. We stream live on our YouTube channel. And then, of course, we uh, are also available on every major audio channel. This show, Matt Minnick's Coach Speak and Chalk Talk, as well as Bengal Jim and Friends Talking Football, all of which on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Get get it how you can. And if you, if you would be so inclined, leave us a review. And uh, we would appreciate that. All right. Well, now I'm nervous because Joe's Joe's got got me uh, a little nervous about my. He's just a man. Analysis here, brain. yeah, he's a he's a man of myth. Love you, Joe. So let's let's get to this here. Uh, as we know, and as or as we think we know, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be in the market for an interior defensive lineman, and you know what that may look like can vary. 
I mean, last year they drafted Zachary Carter, who was kind of an edge guy. They played him inside. They played him a little bit outside later in the year. Um, they had Larry Ogunjobi, who was kind of doing three-tech stuff, but he was kind of big for that position. They've had in the past a Geno Atkins, kind of a lighter guy. We've talked Kalijah Kansi, a guy who really lit up the combine. We'll talk about combine stars in just a, a couple minutes here, but you know, and he's on the smaller, lighter side as well. True th- three technique. What might the Bengals do here? Are they going to kind of get that true only three technique? Are they going to get a versatile guy? Are they going to do something different? Just to, you know, what, what are they going to do here? Um, a lot of different options. The bottom line is, you know, it, it seems, John, you and I have talked about how Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard have had a high, high volume. I, hell, go back and watch our our interview last year with Sam Hubbard. He talked last summer about, you know, the high volume of snaps that he and Trey took last year uh, towards the end of that year when Larry O went down. So, uh, you know, you've got Joseph Osai emerging on the edge now uh, in year three for him. You've got BJ Hill locked down. You're trying to tinker with things with Zachary Carter, but the, who's what's what's a piece that they could add here potentially in free agency? Well, there's a number of different guys. There's Sheldon Rankins out there who's kind of that true smaller three technique guy. There are some other big names out there. I kind of went with this guy who's maybe – right in the wheelhouse for the Cincinnati Bengals when they go to outside free agency. Um, tier two, tier three type of guy. Now, this guy at, at, at the position that I'm going to present to you here, he is on PFF's interior defensive line uh, free agents list as uh, their number – I think he's number five of, of interior defensive linemen that are out there. So a guy – you know, he's not going to be a star name, but he's a guy that could come in and fill something for the Bengals here going forward. And that is going to be Zach Allen, a guy who has played the last handful of years for the Arizona Cardinals and just kind of a, a, a tweener guy. He was an edge player at Boston College. He kind of transitioned. He was doing some edge stuff in for the Cardinals. He they moved him to the interior. They tried to bulk him up the past couple of years. You can see here he he was about 6'4, 265, bulked up to about 280, 285. He's 25 right now, turns 26 in August. He's entering his fifth season. He was a pick atop the third round, number 65. He went to Boston College. Now there's a reason why he fell to the third round. Some people thought he might have uh, been early in the process, might have gone earlier, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, did not run a good 40 at all for a guy that was an edge defender or perceived to be an edge defender in that draft. So the Cardinals had a specific plan with him. He's a guy that ended up playing a little bit on the edge for him. J.J. Watt ended up taking him under his wing a little bit. You know, J.J. obviously edge player, but he'd kick inside every once in a while too. So this is a guy that you know he kind of took under his wing in that regard. You can see there 11 and a half sacks in his career, but five and a half last year. 21 tackles for for loss, 10 last year, 43 quarterback hits in his career, 20 of those last year, three fumble recoveries, all of those were a couple of years ago, 35 quarterback pressures last year, that was a big jump for him last year, and you see the PFF stats, 70 plus pass rush rating, a 60 plus run defense rating, and a 72.7 overall rating. Now we're going to look at some plays, I slowed these down a little bit, we may go back and watch, so you can see here he's gonna he's gonna kind of loop around and get in here um, uh, on this play here. A lot of the plays he here he is right here in the middle. If you can see my cursor, uh, and he's gonna loop around. Now a lot of the plays you're gonna see from this guy are are, are plays that um, sometimes they're they're on slower developing passes or they're on plays where you know he kind of hustles. It's kind of a hustle sack. Really kind of a criticism that when you if you remember. When Trey Hendrickson was signed by the Bengals, they thought it was, you know, kind of a cleanup sack, a coverage sack type of situation. So some of that you see, at least on some of these plays here, this is against Trey Lance. I slowed this one down for folks as well here. He's kind of up at the top here. There, there is another defender outside of him, but here he is over here uh, coming off the edge. Nice recognition. And that's a, that's a sack on Trey Lance there. So uh, good re- recognition on the RPO. You see here, he's off the edge up at the top of the screen here. Fumble by Russell Wilson, scoops that up and scores. So nice kind of Johnny on the spot play right there. And then I think this next one here is going to be a batted ball against Baker. So he kind of gets up there, shows a little bit of that uh, prowess there against the Panthers. Nice play there. Um, And then this one, a little harder to see. This is against Jalen Hurts here. You can see 
you know, Jalen, obviously great athlete, does a lot of stuff in the pocket, but you can see here, this is just a scramble, 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 scramble. And he just doesn't give up on the play shoots in there and makes the play at the end there. So, you know, kind of a lot of these hustle plays. Now this is where I want to kind of uh, focus. Um, this is of course from Kentley Platt. Um, the uh, talking about the RAS score, you look back at 2019 as a defensive end here, John, 5.17 overall RAS score. And a lot of that has to do with, look at that 40 yard dash, a five flat 40. Um, so you can see there a 5.17 RAS as an edge player. So the Cardinals saw tools that they liked, but they didn't see the get off. They didn't see the speed and all of that, that they wanted out of an edge guy. They saw a guy who could potentially do some things and disrupt things in the middle of the defensive line, maybe at times, move outside to, to make some plays. But a guy, again, as a defensive tackle, when you look at the RAS, look at that one, 9.12 with the measurables that he shows there, um, you know, 6'4", 280. And, uh, you know, you can see okay speed, good speed in certain aspects, great explosion, elite agility. So a really nice RAS score from an def interior defensive line standpoint. So here's kind of some overview stuff that I saw. He's versatile. They moved him around a lot on the defensive line. He showed solid improvement last year. Uh, he's a supporter, not a star on a defensive line. So this is a guy that would come in and do different things on a defensive line. He's not the anchor guy. He's you know, And it would show that by a contract that he would probably get. He might be affordable, but there is going to be an inflated defensive line um, and interior defensive line contracts this year uh, fit and scheme. Does that fully work with what the Bengals are trying to do? Do they want kind of the smaller, just true three technique type of type of guy, or do they want a guy that can move around a little bit? Um, so those are some of the questions I had with, with him and some of the overview things that I had with him, but a, a guy, I think, again, supportive piece, uh, rotational piece, a guy you can move around here and there and and maybe spell the occasional snaps off the edge from from a guy like like Hubbard but a, a guy who you know has decent play recognition you know uh, does a lot of hustle plays has shown some nice improvement as a pass rusher this last this last season um and you know a, a guy that just intrigues me a little bit for the Bengals especially because they want more pass rush help and a guy that could be relatively affordable in an inflated market yeah so we have a lot of comments saying that Zach Allen's a lot like Sam Hubbard, and I understand that from like a play style standpoint. Um, but I love the fact that you mentioned Trey Hendrickson because his arc and maybe his profile as a free agent reminds me a lot of him, Hendrickson, two years ago. Not 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 just because maybe you know racial bias or anything like that, but the fact that he just he just elevated his play at the right time and his contract year doesn't look a lot like his first three years in the league. Obviously, you want your guys to be progressing as they go on and, and whatnot, but you also are weary of the fact that maybe one season is an outlier. And how much do you bank on that just being development and peaking at the right time, 25, 26 years old? Like it's it's the same trajectory as Trey Hendrickson. Like he won as a pass rusher just more often this year. And I, I remember like the whole argument with Hendrickson was that a lot of his sacks weren't that of high quality, right? It was a lot of hustle sacks. Right. And that's kind of the thing with Zach Allen too. Now his sacks totals and volumes aren't going to be that of an edge defender just because he plays inside so that's I guess the the difference when you're looking at just from a broad standpoint but I, I just see similarities in that sense and that's why the Bengals got a lot of criticism with Hendrickson back in, in 2021 when they paid him 15 million per year and that might be what Zach Allen ends up getting on the open market this year just because that's just the way that things go right so I, the price is probably the biggest thing here like I don't know how much the Bengals are going to shell out for a third defensive tackle to rotate in with B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader. They obviously need some type of long-term presence there because Hill's only under contract for two more years. Reader's a free agent after the season, but you're not asking Zach Allen to be a nose tackle anyways. No. So the price is definitely the biggest thing here. I, th I think as a third defensive tackle, he'd be, he'd be great. And again, that trajectory is something the Bengals are familiar with. It's almost eerily similar how similar they are. But again, I, I, I think just because of what the market is at defensive tackle this year, I think he's going to a little bit more than the Bengals are comfortable with. He, he might be, especially for a guy that 
you know, is not going to supplant BJ Hill as a starter is not going to supplant one of the edges as a starter. He would be a guy that would be a heavy rotational guy, like what they did with Larry Ogunjobi, now different size profile and all of that. Obviously Larry O I think had probably 40 pounds on him. Uh, but so different size and, and Larry O's get off his first, first couple steps were very, very explosive. Whereas, you know, this guy's 10 yard split, isn't that, that great. It is pretty good for a defensive tackle, I suppose. But, um, you know, it's he would be a guy that maybe falls through the cracks a little bit uh, in the market. Maybe people fall in love with a Sheldon Rankins because of the name and a little bit of earlier production. I think Rankins had a, a couple of injuries with the Jets on that other contract he signed. By the way, the Bengals were interested in him a couple of years ago as well, Rankins. So this is a guy, again, that would kind of be – uh, to use a baseball term, a utility player along the offensive line and a heavily utilized utility player on the defensive line. You know, a, a guy that would, would spell BJ Hill here and there. You can, you know, if you're blitzing someone else off the edge, he can play, you know, an edge. He can spell Hendrickson, Hubbard, you know, and, and uh, you know, do a little edge work there. And I think kind of be a guy that, um, you know, you, you saw this work for the Bengals in years past. You know, Wallace Gilberry was a guy that would play inside and outside for the for the team. And maybe this is a guy that would do that and just kind of be a, a heavy rotator and a, a, a valuable, you know, to use a basketball analogy, sixth man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. And we can never discount the Bengals' continuous interest and just stacking the defensive line. Like they've always been willing to invest a ton of their cap cap room and cash into that position group. And it's why, like I would expect outside of offensive tackle, like defensive tackles probably where you're going to see some type of, I don't want to say like notable signing. Cause they're not going to sign a guy in the first couple of days for agency, but a guy that wants or will probably contribute for a significant role here. Like, it has to, you know, obviously the draft is going to impact that as well. And there are some guys that I think a lot of Bengals fans are interested in, specifically in the first couple of rounds, but like they just needed that extra little umph from the inside to just give them a boost because BJ Hill, DJ Reed are great starting tandem, but you just need that explosiveness and you, you can see the value in having a guy that can push the pocket up the middle. And, you know, Zach Allen's a great guy to, to, to highlight because I think a lot of the qualities that he has is a lot of the things that the Bengals typically value and again it'll it'll all come down to price but it makes a lot of sense from from just the broad standpoint and uh you know i don't i'd have to look up the the heights of the other quarterbacks in the division um but i don't think that any of them are the big six 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 seven you know towering monsters that we've seen from big ben and whatnot so having a six four guy potentially in the middle to to you know get his hands up and take away a passing lane that's always a valuable stat or a valuable asset as well for a defensive lineman too so a guy that you know again i don't think he's he would if he was to be signed i don't think a lot of fans would it would move the needle a ton for a lot of fans but i think it would be a nice uh depth plus signing a a guy that would provide good depth and would provide extra a little extra juice on the defensive line from different spots but again it's what the Bengals want out of the next defensive lineman they want to sign and how how far they think they can continue to develop Zachary Carter, particularly in year two, because he's a guy that's kind of doing the same thing a little bit in and out, uh, in and out for them. But uh, a guy that I kind of looked into a little bit recently and uh, thought I'd break down for everybody. Yeah, man. Pretty solid. Combine. Let's go, John. What uh, we talked on Friday with the listener questions about Kalijah Cansey, a guy that um, you know was was kind of lighting some things up, and different players were going to go throughout the weekend. Who else, as the weekend progressed, kind of jumped out at you? Um, hopefully positively, but maybe negatively, uh, especially as it pertains to the Cincinnati Bengals. There were some fast offensive tackles, man. Like particularly two, uh, Darnell Wright and Anton Harrison. The latter was just mocked twice, I believe, to the Bengals today from Todd McShay and Dane Brugler, two guys who kind of in the know when it comes to the draft um but i think with Wright specifically measuring in at 330 plus pounds and running a 50140 looking the part on tape too like i know it's just the it's the narrative of or not the narrative but like it's the cliche of oh the combine is just for confirming what you see on tape but that's precisely what darnell Wright did he just looks so fluid and so fast for being so big and apparently only starting like I don't know, Baker's dozens worth of games 
at the SEC, and he's only 21 years old. He was a guy that's been projected like between picks 20 and 40, testing that well at that size and just confirming what you see on tape. And being an offensive tackle, like I feel like he's probably not going to make it to 28 now, which brings Harrison into the conversation as well. He ran like I think a 498. He ran a little bit faster than Darnell Wright, and I'll measure him a little bit smaller. I think like 315 pounds. He's pretty much the same exact size as like Jonah Williams. Only I think he has got slightly longer arms and 34 inch arms, but a much better athlete, right? A lot, a lot quicker. Um, I think probably a higher upside guy when it comes to run blocking and everything. There's a great video with him breaking down the film with Brandon Thorne, and everyone should go check that out. But again, another guy who probably tested out of the range for the Bengals to pick him at 28, but Dane Brugler had him at 28 right now, and it's just going to be it's gonna be a matter of when that run for offensive tackles kind of happened, and that's something the Bengals need to keep in mind. Like, I don't think they can go into the draft expecting one of Wright or Harrison to be available to them now. Uh, you know, I mean, for me, I, I had a just a – because the Bengals were – visiting with so many of the guys at the position um, and there's just, this is a really, really stacked position group in this year's class. Uh, I, you know, kind of had a close eye on the, the tight end group and, you know, Washington made that one crazy catch and drilled. <laughs> and I mean, I really would have liked to have seen what, what Kincaid would have ran, even if he did limited stuff, if he just would have ran, I, I would really have been interested in that. But uh you know, I think he wants to be fully healthy and, and all of that. I was, of course, gutted to see what happened to Andrew Voorhees, um, you know, and the fact that he went out there and put up, what, close to 40 reps on the bench with a freaking torn ACL or whatever. Uh, that was unbelievable. But, you know, that's probably going to be a guy that you take a late round flyer on and hope that, you know, you've got something uh, you kind of struck gold for 2024 with him as he heals up. Uh, really, really shame uh, what, what happened to him. In terms of corners, one guy that I think is um, uh, kind of uh, interesting to me, and uh, he would be a mi- probably at this point a mid-round pick. I'm seeing his name on a lot of mocks, and obviously I, I knew a little bit about him going into the uh, going into the the combine. Is uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, um, small guy, five eight, one seventy eight, uh, a, a guy that uh, I don't. I mean. I don't know if you're connecting the dots, but he went to TCU and his last name's Tomlinson. He's Ladanian's <laughs> nephew. So in case you didn't catch that one, he, he's Ladanian's nephew, but ran a 4 4 one, uh, 39 inch vertical jump, 11, uh, 11 foot broad jump. Didn't do much on the bench, just 12. But, uh, you know, a guy I think it could be, a, you know, if we're talking about kind of non obvious guys, a guy that I feel like could have been, uh, a, you know, could be a guy that is a nice depth piece a guy that could, um, you know, bring, bring something to a, to a defense. Uh, I, I, he's probably a guy I want to break down a little further and maybe put something out here on, on a future episode, but I guess just the lineage, um, you know, he had some, some decent production. He's small. So a guy to me, but, but ran well, right. Um, you know, if you're, if you're talking about a guy who's a little smaller, maybe you're thinking, Oh, maybe he's going to be a slot corner guy. And sometimes those aren't the fastest guys on the field, but this guy's, this guy ran well. So um, I don't know, a guy that that's kind of intriguing me a little bit. And I want to look a little more into. Yeah, he's like almost exactly the same size as Andrew Hawkins, like five, eight, one seventy five. I think less than 30 inch arms, but that athleticism that's, that's genetic, right? There's just right. so many, there's just so many good cornerbacks in this draft. It'd be, it'd honestly be a crime if the Bengals didn't take one. I think they're gonna. I think, and knowing them, they will probably. My guess, if let let's play this game a little bit. If you're gonna let's, and we'll start closing up here. We'll drop the mic a little bit. All right. If you were to say, okay, tight end, just right now, before free agency, and by what round, at the latest, do you think that they will invest in tight end? Fourth round. Okay, I will say yeah. third. Um, cornerback. I think they double dip, and I would say probably no later than the third round um, and probably again in the fifth or sixth round. No later than second. Honestly, it's my favorite to go in the first, to be honest with you. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, do you think even with, I mean, they invested, if you look at last year, Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Alex Kappa. Um, I mean, do you think that they use an early pick on interior offensive line? I think, I think it's probably corner tackle, early a corner tackle tight ends got to be probably your first three picks in some order yeah i think 
tackle is just such a mystery to me because I, again, I I don't think it it's that that deep of a class. Like like there's some guys that I think are probably interest you, but I just feel like they're going to be forced to address it at least somewhat in a free agency, and they're going to see if one falls. And if one does fall in the first round, like a Harrison or a Ryder, there, like I feel like, or a Dewan Jones, if you want to play that card. I feel like they would definitely be tempted and they might just pull the trigger there, but I feel like it's either going to be like a first and second round pick or they're not going to address it at all offensive tackle specifically. Well, I guess we could start uh, closing up a little bit because we're coming up against it. Somehow this, this show kind of flew by, but it's been a, been a really fun one, really good one. Victor, uh, Victor Pate. Uh, hopefully I'm saying your last name, Victor Pate, Victor Pate. I don't know. Uh, your last, but I, I know he comments a lot on our videos and thanks for the support and the generous YouTube um, super chat there, Victor Burrow is the linchpin for everything. When is the soonest he can be signed? Your thoughts, please. Uh, that's, that's gotta be top of the list of priorities for the Bengals this year. And I think, um, you know, they will, it's one of those things that they like to do in the summer. They like to get them done in the summer. Those core players that are, you know, a year or two away from free agency there, and they like to get those deals done, locked up and structured in a way so they can make long-term plans and also keep the guys they want long-term. So that has to be high, high priority, if not, I mean, arguably the highest priority, even with free agency in the draft this offseason. When is the soonest he can be signed? Right now? Whenever happened as yeah. we're doing the show, right? Um, no, I, I think because we kind of talked about like you know if he's going to be signed before or after free agency starts that may affect things. I I honestly don't think it's probably will at this point. I, I just don't foresee the like the Bengals doing anything that resembles what they've done in free agency in the past couple of years, just because they know that that cash is going to Burrow and they want that cash going to Higgins. Um, there's obviously the, the whole escrow rule, and if they wait until after the month of March, uh, then they have basically 364 days to put that cash into an escrow account. And again, like they have a good idea, I think at this point of what the contract is going to look like. And it's just a bunch of crossing, crossing, crossing T's and dotting I's. So I, I don't think the timing really impacts how much cap space they're expected to have this free agency. So like, there's no real rush, but obviously if you are the first to sign over guys like, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, it gets, puts you at an advantage because then you create the new baseline and those guys are going to want to exceed it because that's just what happens, right? So obviously you want to be the first from the team perspective, but from like a salary cap perspective and maybe a cash perspective, even if we want to go as far as that, I don't think there's a necessarily a huge rush right now. Yeah, and that, you know they may they may also again kind of see who they're able to keep and sign and and stuff in a, in a you know week or so here. So um, that, that may play into a little bit, but I think, I think a frame, you know, some of the framework probably is known or, you know, they, they've got in their mind's eye, you know, a, a pretty good outline of what they're, what they're looking at here. And then it's just going to kind of continue from there and, and hammer out more details. But uh, I, I, I mean, I don't really have fears that it's not going to get done. I don't know about you, John. I I, I kind of get the feeling that the Bengals are going to do everything they need to do to get that dialed in. <laughs> I I remember thinking like a couple of years ago when people were kind of scared about Jesse Bates and like no, like Jesse Bates, he's on these he's in these promo ads, like he's jerseys for sale, like they're going to prioritize him, and then they didn't, and that was kind of like a minor shock to me. That like there's there's no reason to feel that way about Joe Burrow, right? Like right. this is just what right. they do. It's 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 just what they do. They pay quarterbacks and they're going to do it for him. It's what they do. It's who they pay. That is correct. All right, let's drop the mic and get out of here, man. I know that was kind of a little bit of a mic drop, but uh what do you got for us? Nothing much other than I'm posting content with uh, a to z sports.com backslash Cincinnati. Uh I'll have like a, a few handful of articles up a day with ranging various topics, so if you want to Want to help me out and help us out over there? Give us a click there and obviously continue going to Cincy Jungle. But, you know, stop by A to Z from time to time. I'm officially writing for them. Of course. Of course. Yeah, awesome stuff, John. And uh, congratulations once again on that move for you, my friend. Stoked for you. Um, I don't really have too much. I kind of spent it all with my free agency <laughs> free agency spotlight, I guess. Uh, but I, I just, again, uh, we, we got some extra super chats 
tonight, which is awesome. And uh, of course, good, good to see Mr. Joe Goodberry in the, in the live chats there too, but uh, appreciate the generosity of you all doing that. Um, you know, I can't, can't thank you all enough for the support you've shown me, John, both of us, the show, everything. So continue. Uh, if you feel so inclined, continue. That's uh, so gracious of all of you. And of course, go support John over at ADZ sports as well, as he is going to be writing up all kinds of cool content over there. Uh, we're going to get out of here. This was a fun one. This uh, somehow this hour flew by, but uh, we're going to keep coming at you with a lot of different stuff on this show. We're going to keep getting you all kinds of different content on Cincy jungle and the podcast channel. So keep it here, John, have a good week, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon and get more info to the peeps. Yep. Talk to you guys later.